Welcome to Sounds Familiar, a podcast where we discuss two pieces of media that share themes, plot points, or overarching ideas. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram to keep up to date with our upload schedule, news, and discussions. Take your seat, grab your popcorn, and silence your cell phones now. Please enjoy the show. Welcome to Sounds Familiar. My name is Caleb, and I had an adrenaline rush. It's very common. You can Google it. My name's Stephanie, and Claire de Lune is great. Yes, it is. <laughs> I don't know why that line's so funny to me. I think it's because it's like, not to sound like an asshole, but like Claire de Lune is like one of the most famous classical pieces of all time. So oh, it's like, right. it's <laughs> someone like who's been alive for a hundred years would probably know stuff that was a little more obscure than Claire de Lune. Right, like piano. someone says... <laughs> Oh, I love I love Beethoven. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh and, wow. And you're like, oh, I'm a, I'm a. You Fear, know, Fear Elise is thank great. You. <laughs> I, the only reason I had hesitated was because I thought the moment I say the name of the song, Stephanie's gonna be like, um, actually, that actually, it's called um, yeah, no, um, it would either be Fear Elise or Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, like, <laughs> but he's like, it's like, yeah, I love WC. It's like fucking. We could go on with, with comparisons. <laughs> yes. Um, anyways, so we, we're we actually discussing two different movies tonight, though both of our quotes wow. were from the same movie. We, I know. What an unusual departure for us. in one episode. <laughs> I know. That's two for the price of one. Um, but the thing is, I scoured the Hunger Games script for some funny out-of-context quotes, and I couldn't really find much. <laughs> No, like, you'd have to, like, look in the book for, like, a Hamish line or uh, something. Yeah, yeah. No, I think the script is honestly pretty good, and, which helps that the dialogue in the book is good. But, like, <laughs> there's not a lot of, like, funny lines. Um, except for ones that are funny very contextually, if that makes sense. Like, right. they're not a lot that are funny out of context. Anyway, so tonight, um, if you recall, if you've been listening to these sequentially, last week we did... Um, we discussed um, a couple of, I don't know, teen movies from the 80s, uh, Breakfast Club and Heathers. Oh, right. I for- You said last week. I was like, okay, didn't well- record anything last <laughs> week because we, we doubled up because I was yes. out of town. The episode we, we released last week, yes. <laughs> um, and, and this week we were talking about some, I guess, teen movies. I don't know. I feel like teen movies in a very different sort of way, or YA movies, we'll put it that way. Yeah. Or movies based on YA books, uh, books that came out in the 2000s. I mean, these were like the big two. Yeah, right, which right, is partly, like, partially why we're doing them. Like There are some other the, ones, but... The first Twilight movie was like the one, like it sparked the YA movie adaptation yes. thing. It was where it went from being like, we're doing Harry Potter... And uh, here's an Inkheart movie and Lion, the, the City the of Ember, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, to where it jumped to teenagers. I was going like, to say, those teenagers. were like kids' movies, yeah. Or, or kids' fiction, whether or not the movies were specifically kids' movies. Right. And then these were like YA. So, yeah, and these were these both came or, came out around like when we were teenagers. So they came out farther apart than I thought. I totally forgot that Hunger Games didn't come out until we were, like, about to graduate. Yeah, it came out our senior year of high school. 
Pause for a kitty interruption. Hello, kitty cat. It's okay, we can continue. <laughs> and uh, Twilight released the first semester of ninth grade, which is easier for me to remember because I wasn't homeschooled. Well, and... <laughs> so these kind of bookended our, our high school yeah. time. Yeah. Well, what's funny is I... Do you want to just jump into, like, did we experiences with the the, the, yeah, yeah. the media, with the franchises? Yeah, let's just do it. So I read the entirety of the Twilight series. Well, the uh, Breaking Dawn wasn't even out when I read it. I read the first three books in eighth grade because the girl I had a crush on liked them, and I had nothing to talk to her about <laughs> because the only things I knew about her was she liked horses and uh, she liked Twilight. The Twilight books. <laughs> and so I read the first three, and I was like, I love it. And then, like, I got break. I accidentally ended up in Books a Million with my family the, like, release day of Breaking Dawn and convinced them to buy it without with zero questions from them because they had no idea, right? <laughs> the, the, the movie hadn't come out yet. It wasn't really the phenomenon. Oh like, I mean, the movie was made because it was a phenomenon, but, like, yeah. parents were still kind of clueless. Um, <laughs> and it's funny. I associate Hunger Games with that time period also because... I read, so I read Twilight like a year before the movie came out, and then I read Hunger Games the same year that the movie came out, or like within a year of the Twilight movie. So like, they're bundled <laughs> together in my head. I don't... Yeah. I, I've i seen the movie multiple times, but I don't associate it with like the end of high school because I associate... I, I think of the book more, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I... Oh, gosh. I'm trying to think of what my first knowledge of Twilight was. And I'm not 100% sure. I think I started to be aware of it around the time that the movie came out, which I guess is when a lot of people probably started to be aware of it. Though I guess I was right in the demographic for people who would have been into it. Like, I, I was a 14-year-old girl when it came out. Um, I, I did not read the books. Of course, I, I also didn't read a lot of books that came out around then because, you know, weird upbringing and stuff. But um, I think I, I was kind of interested in it, honestly. Like, I, uh, my most basic knowledge of it just being that it was about, like, a girl who's in love with a vampire. And I was like, that sounds cool. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then, like, I started to, like, hear people, like, rag on it all the time. Right. And that honestly kind of made me more interested because I was like, okay, if it's inspiring such strong feelings in people, there must be something interesting something going here. on. Right, right. exactly. Like it's it's, it's not, not nothing. It's not just movie bad. There's a certain amount of it that's people hating on stuff that teenage girls are into, yeah. which makes you question how bad it actually is. We might as well it's go a... ahead and talk about that before we talk about the movie itself, because it's such a big cultural thing. Absolutely. Like... It is inextricably tied into... It's... It's Twilight. it's kind of insane to me. Like, honestly, when I think... Well, let me put it this way. When I think about all the shitty movies I've seen <laughs> and all the shitty books that are out there and everything, and I think about how none of them have caught the heat that this one has, um, and obviously, like, we know by now that it's because of, like, intense, deep-seated misogyny, <laughs> more yes. or less. Like, yes. <laughs> I mean... The thing is, like, from a purely objective, if one can be objective about art, which I would argue one can't completely, uh, perspective, I would say it's pretty middle of the road. Yeah. Like, when I read the prose, I'm like, well, that sure is a YA novel. <laughs> and, like, yeah, when I see, watch the movie, I'm like, that sure is a movie based on a YA novel. <laughs> now, see, as an eighth grader, 
the, <laughs> the the books were like nothing I'd ever read before. Well, right, I right, devoured right. them. <laughs> That's so I funny. Read, I, I mean, read cool, the first yeah. three, and then I'm pretty sure I immediately reread them. Wow. Like, I was like, I was addicted. Well, I'm, I'm to... curious that what, like, did you... Was it the story? Did you like the story? Like, well, I think the I might, part of the reason why I was, I think, so fascinated with it was that it was the most adult thing I'd ever read at that point mm-hmm. in my life. That makes a lot of sense. You know, yeah. you're talking to someone who would reread the Redwall books every year to get enough to get enough <laughs> AR points to yeah. like brag about, right? Like, <laughs> so Twilight was my first foray into romance something that has a lot of feelings in it a lot of intensity post-pubescent yes um well and it probably was that way for a lot of people i mean the thing about these books is that they're YA, but they're just like intensely riddled with sexuality there's entirely (laughs) too much quivering (laughs) they're pro quivering um no it's well, it's kind of funny because I mean, people kind of make fun of like the 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 whole Mormonism thing because Stephanie Meyer is Mormon, and a lot of it kind of does come through. And they kind of make fun of like the the enforced chastity of you know the main characters, and yet I would argue that's a pretty great recipe for sexual tension. Like if I were writing it, I would probably enforce some chastity because I'd be like. Um, hello, they can't have sex or she'll literally get killed. Right, That's come great. In, come, if, if, <laughs> it, I don't, it's much harder to have a problem with it when you come up with a creative story reason right. for why they can't. I it's think like, it makes sense. Instead of just saying they shouldn't have sex because sex before marriage is right. bad. That's, uh-uh. but saying they can't have sex because he might kill her in the, That's what? great. That's, That's yes. good stuff. Honestly, That's I want to see more movies with that premise. Like, obviously women know that we have sex with men and that men are likely to kill us. Just make it more interesting than that in a way that doesn't just make us, like, be fearful of our entire existence. Make it hot. Like, I'm just saying. Um, anyway, yeah, so I I honestly heard a lot of, of that before I even saw the movie. And I haven't read the books, just to make that clear. Um, but um, I it, it honestly made me more interested because I was like... If a lot of people are this mad about it, I kind of need to know what's up. See, I, <laughs> I always, I, I kind, I went along with it like half-heartedly. Yeah, me too. Um, me too. Largely, I went al- largely because um, I did not see the movie until last year. That's um, right. Last year was the I first saw time the I saw movie it. before you did, so despite the fact that you read. The I books. was going to go see it opening weekend, but. And I was going to go see it with a girl at my new school, but I was too embarrassed to ask my parents to take me to go see a movie with a girl. And so I didn't, and I just stayed at home and texted her while she went and saw the movie without me. And nothing ever came of it. Oh, Um, sweetie. And so I didn't see it, I didn't see it for the first time until like a year ago. At which point my opinion of the movie was, that's the funniest thing is especially if you see the movie after hearing all the the cultural shit that has gone down around it yeah i feel like it's so like underwhelming not even in a sense of like oh this is so bad i'm so underwhelmed but more in the sense that you're like i was expecting this to be like the room levels of comedically bad and instead it's just kind of like well this sure is a movie like Like, (laughs) neither uh um uh robert pattinson or Kristen Stewart. Kristen Stewart are as bad 
as the internet would have Dude, you believe. the way people gave Kristen Stewart, like, shit for this performance, and I'm just like, I, I kind of feel like if, like, she's just playing the character, like, the right, way the like, character is written. Let's be like, perfectly honest, if you're playing the character of Bella Swan, you don't you have don't much have to go much off. much to work with. She is as blank a slate as there. She is the perfect tabula rosa. Like she I was is... gonna say, even that, I'm gonna defend. Look at me, uh, because I people have so often been like Bella Swan is a self insert, and I'm like, yeah, that that that's the point. Like the point of the books is not to have the super nuanced, like deep main character who you're supposed to like see the inner workings of their mind like the point is that she is a self-insert you're supposed to be able to like relate to her just enough to imagine that it's you going around and fucking around with vampires and you know what that's okay like that's the weirdest thing to me about is like why is that a bad thing (laughs) like maybe a 15 year old girl just wants to be like yeah yeah i i could bang a vampire and that's okay obviously she can't probably because because the vampire is not existing but it's okay for her to imagine that she can and that she's fucking bella swan or whoever the fuck i don't know it's just it's so it's all such a non-issue to me like every almost every single complaint about these books like the only ones that i will even kind of entertain is that it's like Stephanie Meyer kind of treads on some like uh, ground that she probably shouldn't be treading on as a white person writing about like indigenous tribes like I will definitely uh, give people that one because like (laughs) a lot of it is pretty obvious it's like oh that this is a white person trying to write (laughs) about like indigenous people like that's absolutely fair but like everything else I just I don't know I in the year of our lord 2021 I'm just like this this is what we're choosing to get upset about right like okay first off if someone is still making fun of twilight in 2021 that's a major red flag i still see still a better love story than twilight Twilight? like that was a funny meme in 2010 right right? it was funny for like three seconds oh are you still shitting on nickelback like bro get a new joke i know um some of us live in the 2020s not in the 2000s (laughs) circling back around for half a second to something totally unimportant it just occurred to me that I should probably clarify that the girl that I read Twilight to try and, like, impress or have something in common with is a completely different girl than the one I was going to go see the movie with. The moral of the story is if you're – is boys. If you're not stupid and aren't sexist and, like, prejudiced against stuff that girls are stereotypically, like, into, mm. you might be – like, you might make some inroads there. Wow, imagine Right? That. Like, if you're the guy who's willing to ask a girl to go see the Twilight movie with you – She'll probably say yes because no, most of the other guys aren't gonna bother. To exactly ask. right. I'm honestly the bar for men is so low in some areas. Like just like take a momentary brief, however shallow interest in our interests, and it's like wow, no guys ever asked me about that before. Mind blown. It's so easy. But anyway, yeah. So so. <laughs> The, that doesn't even begin kind of to scratch the surface of the whole weird uh, cultural phenomenon that is Twilight. But but let's talk about the movie. Let's, uh, okay, I first of all, I can't believe I haven't said this so far. <laughs> so I was feeling a little frisky. So I watched, um, while Caleb was in his work trip, um, I watched every movie in the Twilight franchise and every movie in the Hunger Games franchise just to kind of get a, a, a full view <laughs> of these <laughs> these stories. So, 
Um, I might slip into talking about some of the other movies while we're talking about these first two, but we are concentrating primarily on the the first one. Right. If this was like uh, our fourth or fifth episode, we would be talking about all uh, all nine movies, but we've <laughs> yes. evolved. I know. Oh God, our X Men episode. We've X-Men's evolved. Gonna... We're not. We're not going beat by beat. Right. Um, I mean, we can go more or less beat by beat in Twilight because there's not there that, aren't many, that beats. many beats. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very short song. Yeah, um, exactly. First of all, um, here is a compliment that I will start out with for Twilight. It has the most plot out of any movie in the series. Or the the first Twilight movie has the most coherent plot out of any of them. <laughs> so it is the one that most closely resembles a movie. And I can't speak to this because the first movie is the only one I've seen. Mm. I have seen bits and pieces of new moon and i did not enjoy it (laughs) i did not enjoy what i saw it's not that great i still think it's the second best movie in the series i know that's kind of dismal isn't it i know no am i just never gonna watch the other four i do think you should watch them just like for for the sake of watching Uh. them because, see, this one's actually enjoyable. Yeah, like, yeah, it's more or less enjoyable. I more or less pay attention throughout the entire thing. Like, it is an entertaining movie. It is all it needs to be. Yeah. You know? And it, it feels like it moves along at a steady enough pace. Like, and of course, part of that is just that by virtue of being the first movie, the first story in the franchise, there's the most for our central character to discover. And yeah. to like, you know, learn about to move through. Whereas the other ones, it's it gets a little more convoluted. Um, right. This isn't Harry Potter, where there is essentially an unlimited number of things for our her- uh, heroine to discover in each new yes. each new entry. Well, uh, it's like once you discover there are vampires, and then you discover there are werewolves in the next one, and then you're like, uh. I mean, even as uh, I say that, even as I say that. The subsequent ones do introduce a lot of, oh, and vampires have this rule, and werewolves have this rule, and, like, they this thing happened in the past, and now, now, we're, now we we're, have to fight because of this thing. We're legalizing our way through a yeah, vampire yes, I romance know, I know. story. I know. There is, honestly, a lot of that, and I'm kind of torn because, on the one hand, I kind of like learning all the, like, specific vampire and werewolf lore, but on the other hand, I kind of don't care, so it's like... <laughs> right, it's it's the later ones, it's you're torn between, like, okay, there's so much yearning happening and very little happening <laughs> with it. It's like... <laughs> It's about the She wants to be with Edward, but he leaves. And so she spends all this time with Jacob. And Jacob wants to be with her, but she can't fully commit to Jacob. And then they're fighting over her. And then blah de blah de blah de blah And in the moment, you're like, oh, yeah. And then and the, it's, it's in retrospect. Yeah. Right? It's the clarity of that's retrospect true. that you're just sitting there like, oi. <laughs> I think, honestly, I think that's what simultaneously saves this franchise and condemns it is that when you're in the middle of it, you're pretty invested. And then as soon as it's over, you're like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> like, <laughs> so, which is a funny little crossroads for something to be at. I think I think of it as like when you're watching kind of a shitty horror movie. Like, in the moment, you're like, oh, fuck. And then afterward, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> like, so, <laughs> I, I don't know. I think it's fine. I, you know, but the the thing that I like about the first one is... 
it has that crucial element of keeping my interest, which is her learn slowly learning about this person and like his world and the the problems that arise from that. It it feels new in this first one because it is in yeah. a way that it doesn't in the subsequent ones. It kind of feels a little old hat at that point. Yeah. Um. But in this one, it's really it's kind of fun because you kind of see her go on that journey of like <laughs> slowly piecing together different things about like this completely separate world that she's just beginning to get a glimpse into. Right. The first one's interesting because you're you are starting at the same place as Bella. Yeah. You're being introduced and slowly fed this information about this expanded world at the same rate she is and you're constantly wanting to find out more. And then by the time you hit the fourth one it's, it might as well be a courtroom procedural. Yes, I right? know, like, I, I know. <laughs> no, the worst part to me, the the most unforgivable thing to me about, like, the, the last movie, Breaking Dawn Part 2, I can't speak to the book because I haven't read it, but the movie anyway, is that the entire conflict hinges around uh, their daughter, uh, Renesmee, and we don't see, like, very many examples of them actually just interacting with their daughter and, like, being parents, which could be interesting because, like, Bella's, you know, super young. She's, like, 19. And she's now the mom to, like, a six-year-old. Or <laughs> she's not actually that old, but, like, someone who is hey, old enough to right be. right over the terrible two. She was two yeah, for, like, I know. What, a week? <laughs> okay, that's gonna be a week, great. maybe? Yeah. But, like, I would have loved to see more of just, like, their family dynamic. But we get precious little of that. Um, and also, the fact of, like, Bella being turned into a vampire, which is, like, a point of conflict for, like, four movies... Then at the end of Breaking Dawn Part One, she's turned into a vampire, and there's just no conflict around it after that. She just you're, is a vampire. Right. So like, there was all of that hesitance to turn her from right. nothing because there's literally she's like, fine. It's cool. Like it's, <laughs> it also bothers me a little bit that she has been asking to be turned into a vampire since the first entry in the series, yeah. and then she is only turned at the last like as a last resort to save her life she has been asking this saying please turn me into a vampire for like three years at that point and then they only do it when she's about to die as like a last resort to save her life it's like i yeah <sighs> i it would have been nice to have him actually to have there be a moment where he actually chooses to be like you know what this is your choice and i'm gonna respect that because i love you and be because you have made this choice you know in your right mind i'm gonna do that for you instead of just you are literally going to die if i do don't do this i mean in a way that does raise the stakes but i feel like it doesn't say as much about the characters i don't know it it's, it's there's a weird amount of like uh, bella for as much of a blank slate as she can be, she is a character who very much knows what she wants. Which, respect. And these stories, at least to, to my recollection, is a lot of people telling her, no. Yeah. You can't have that or you Whole shouldn't want that. that. Yeah. And it's just uh, this girl who knows what she wants at, all, at a, a lot of the time and people being like, no, just at every turn. Yeah. 
It's interesting because as much as she is kind of a blank slate protagonist, she does have pretty strong wants, which I would say is a good thing. But you're right. It's like <laughs> no one really takes them that seriously. <laughs> and it's like, I, I mean, I mean, to be fair, like you, you, you get where like Edward's coming from, that he doesn't want to turn her into a vampire. And yet it's like at a certain point. I don't know. It feels like we've said all we can say on both sides of it. <laughs> so it's just like, right. why not just have it happen? But I don't know. It, um, I do like that though. Like, honestly, <laughs> there was so much discourse about like, Bella's not feminist enough because she, I don't know, her whole life is about a guy. And it's like, look, my bitch wants to be a vampire. <laughs> she wants to be super strong and fast and have powers and red eyes and fuck for like weeks on end. And like you know, and drink blood, and like good for her, you know. We that is, stand. Exactly. Like we 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 stand. I, I I don't know. I think it's funny, and honestly, it's almost kind of a Little Mermaid type situation where people are like, she only wanted to be a human so she could get with that guy, and it's like, well, no, she wanted to be human because she was interested in humans and didn't like being a mermaid and wanted to have like a different life and walk around on two fucking legs and. Also, she wanted to get with the guy. And, you know, like, <laughs> I feel like with Bella, it's like, yeah, she's super in love with Edward because, you know, sometimes people are in love with other people. But also, she wants to be a vampire and she wants to be part of fucking vampire world, which, like, is pretty fucked up. But so is human world. So, I don't know. It's all, it's all dumb. Anyways, <laughs> back to the movie. So, I would say that this movie actually has a more or less coherent three-act structure which can't be said of all the other ones. Um, it's like, I would say first act is up until the point that she figures out that he's a vampire. There's the the, the big scene. Yeah, and then there's the middle act is like, okay, I know you're a vampire. We're dating now, and I'm learning shit about vampires. And then the beginning right. of the third act is when James oh, no. starts going after There's her. There's bad guys now. They're so you've heard of vampires. Now get ready for bad vampires. <laughs> because you've been fortunate enough to only meet good ones up until this point. How lucky for you. Um, so, yeah. So that kind of works, I think. Like it, I, The first time I watched this movie, I completely and totally forgot like what the conflict was in the first twilight because that, like, it doesn't get introduced until the third fucking act it gets hinted at right yes. like there's all the there's yes. the random murders okay that's true um, that's true they did try to see but that by one. the time it shows up you're like what huh? like huh? who are these assholes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just just we're doing like, this appearing now out of the mist we're going back to phoenix okay cool right, Road right, trip. right. Like, i know out of nowhere yeah it's it does feel like it takes a while to get going like and yes they do try to kind of introduce the conflict early on but it almost feels like maybe it would have worked a little better if like she had already kind of known who like james and victoria were like earlier on in the story and that conflict had been kind of introduced right because it's like as soon as james shows up then bam like that's it yeah he's he's full he's introduced to the characters and he's hunting them and that's our only conflict for the entire yeah. thing. Like that's 
Which is a good conflict. Like, I I like the third act because I think the concept of, like, these vampires are hanging out with a human, stupidly, and then, like, other vampires show up and aren't nice vampires, and they're like, hey, you're hanging out with a human. We like to eat humans. Like, sorry, we're going to eat <laughs> your friend now. My like... lord, what fools these mortals be. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right, like, the just the complete lack of respect they have for humans is kind of interesting like even if they're humans that are protected by other vampires they're like and eh, well we don't really care we're hungry um wh- which is cool like that that's cool that seems like that's a, a conflict that seems to organically arise out of her choosing to hang out with vampires but yes i don't love that it occurs so late in the story because it feels, it feels like it kind of turns into a different movie yeah like the first <laughs> the first like half to three half to two-thirds of the movie is just like a very slow burn like i'm kind of gradually discovering that there are people who are vampires and then suddenly in the third act is like and now we're gonna eat you (laughs) she should have seen it coming honestly you know with the company she was i know i know it's and i mean to be fair i i do like the concept of the cullens as like we're vampires but nice ones which is cool i mean you know like vampires who specifically choose to be moral quote unquote about their vampirism is cool because in a lot of other vamp vampire media the only types that you get are extremely amoral and just kind of do what they want when they want to um so it's cool to see ones that are actually, like, more or less trying to be respectful of humans. Does Hotel Transylvania ever address... <laughs> I, I'm asking you, you haven't seen I it. I haven't seen it, I haven't. And I've only seen the first one, because my understanding is that's really the only one worth watching. Mm. Um, I wouldn't know. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. Bit. It's directed by Gindy Tartakovsky. Oh, well, I mean, maybe um, I should watch it. I don't know. I told you you should. Uh, anyway... Lame jokes aside. <laughs> what? What? So, what were you saying about about Hotel Transylvania? What does it address? I was wondering if it addressed the fact that you know, like how he, how Dracula he, yes. is mm. it, it, <laughs> that. Yeah, that is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> Jonathan, you are banging my daughter. What? Um, <laughs> That's a, Are you referencing like a Twitter post? No, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a whole ass meme, and I'm sorry I couldn't <laughs> move on from talking about Hotel Transylvania without <laughs> saying that. Um, oh my god! We can, we should move on. Okay. <laughs> but yes, I, I do, I do like the concept of the Collins, and honestly, would like to see more of some of those individual members because I, I feel like they have interesting stories, like. That we don't see that much of. See, yeah, that's where my um, my love of superhero stuff comes through. Is as soon as you mention their superpowers, I just right, want like right. gratuitous examples no, of people yeah. using it. Like my favorite part in a superhero like origin movie is like the beginning of the second act when it's literally just a solid fifteen to twenty minute sequence of the hero just using oh, yeah. their powers in just constantly. No, absolutely. I, I would love to watch a, a Cullen's Avengers movie. Right. And so like Twilight only ever teases you with that, right? The fact that they each have individual powers is a secondary thing. We don't thing. even know what some of their individual powers are. Right. I don't know what Carlisle's is. I don't know what Rosalie and Emmett's or Jasper's power, or um, Esme's powers are. You, I, I only know. I'm pretty sure Edward, Edward and, Alice and Alice is the only ones that we know. The other ones, 
I don't know. I can't. There might be a moment where they're, like, briefly referenced in the other movies. So, like, don't come for me if you're, like, a twihard who, like, knows about this. I don't fucking know. Like, um, the, there might be a moment when that's referenced, but it's definitely not dwelt upon. And honestly, that's a little sad. Like, if you're joining, like, a vampire coven, like, you should spend a little more time on that. <laughs> and I also want to know what some of their other backstories are. Because we get some about Jasper. We get some about Edward. We get some about Rosalie. Rosalie? Um, I like her, so this is pretty badass. <laughs> what was hers? Um, well, it was kind of dark. It was like, you know, she uh, was engaged to this guy who was like a complete shithole, and it's implied that like he and some of his friends assaulted her um, after they had been drinking. And then, like, after she was like left for dead and turned into a vampire, she like came and killed them one by one. She said she saved uh, her fiance for last, so he knew she was coming. <laughs> like, it shows, it shows like a shot of him like in this hotel room with like armed guards outside the door and like <laughs> and then she like busts it like what time period uh, was this? dispatches the guards like the 1920s or something 20s, i think okay. was around that time <laughs> you so like you don't see her kill him but it's so she was left for dead in an alley did i think carlisle carlisle turned her, her. carlisle yeah. saved her life yes okay. i didn't know if it was like a vampire just strolling by like ooh blood <laughs> or or if it was like Oh, I should save this girl. I don't. Th- I can't completely remember what was said, but I think it was that Carlisle found her and saved her. He found her and was like, "Go on, girl." Get yeah, him. <laughs> and honestly, he was like, "I'm gonna let you have this one." Yeah, yeah so you get one. <laughs> exactly. Um, Go nuts. <laughs> no, that was pretty cool, and and you can kind of see where some of her like bitterness comes from. And I was like, "Huh, I'd watch that prequel." Right, that's a bit um, more interesting than Edward's backstory, where it's just like he was sick. He had he had this. He had the flu, the flu, the Spanish flu, and he was going to die. Yeah, and it's interesting. And, and Carlisle was just like, like, "This boy is so handsome. I, know. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't let someone that <laughs> handsome die." Beautiful people don't deserve to die. <laughs> Only ugly people deserve that. Um, no, but it's interesting with Edward. We don't hear anything about like who his parents were before, what his life was like before. I, I don't know if the books talk. About I have that. vague memories of a little bit more yeah. detail being given in the books. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just I don't know. I like the Collins. I just want to know more about them and about their weird situation, and, like how that ended up happening. Where it's like <laughs> the only time that the weirdness is ever really commented on is when like. Bella's friend Anna Kendrick whatever her character's name is is like oh they're all like adopted siblings but they're like together and then the other girl's like I wish he'd adopt me (laughs) (laughs) and I was like girl same (laughs) it was pretty funny um which I I I do like Anna Kendrick's character a lot (laughs) and I I frequently think like what would the what would the Twilight movies be like if like Bella had her personality (laughs) I think that'd be pretty fun. <laughs> I wish there was a little bit more with her and Bella because yeah. it's 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 the ray of sunshine adopts exactly. gloomy cloud as their best friend. Right, trope, that's Bella, and that's kind of fun. I know, and I honestly like speaking of that. Like that's such a popular like ship dynamic or whatever, and I can't help wishing that Bella was like a little more like that because I feel like it would be a more interesting contrast like bef- between her and Edward, where it's like she's already so like gloomy and I don't know inarticulate and I don't know she she's just but she, it's, she seems less so with him. That's true. Right, like she, she, she does have these bursts of, of color and 
personality and yes. like, energy come through. That's true, because when you want the D that bad, you're just going to have to get lively <laughs> about it. Yes, no, she, I agree. She has, she has bursts of charisma. <laughs> Same. Uh, charisma that only shows up in the darkest hour. Um, that's true, that's true. Or after three shots. <laughs> yeah, that's how we do our show. Um, no, but no, I, yeah, I agree. And, I don't know, I, yeah, and I, I think that their relationship is pretty boring, or, like, their dynamic between each other is pretty boring, and yet I can't be mad at it because I'm like, I get it. Like, sometimes you're super in love with someone, and it's not even, like, I don't know, I don't know what... I don't know how I'm describing this. Like, it's like, I don't know. A lot of times people have a complaint that it's like, oh, well, a movie will tell me that two people are in love, but do they even like each other? And I'm like, eh, who cares? Like, <laughs> if I want to watch a rom-com, I'll watch a rom-com. Like, if I want to watch some cute banter, like, I'll watch that and I'll, I'll be happy to have that. Like, and yet I don't need that for every romantic relationship in a movie, if that makes sense. Like, sometimes, if it's a movie like Twilight, it's enough for me to be told, these people are in love, and here's the problems that arise because of that. And I'll be like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm describing that very well, but um, I think sometimes, like, two moody, depressive people can be together and be happy. It can be a thing. Just kind of what these movies are about. But, yeah. My brain is trying to make connections <laughs> and i'm getting nowhere zuko and may yeah come at me twitter That's the only stories i know is avatar <laughs> i know nothing else my entire literary and story framework is based around I'll avatar be, the last Airbender. i'll be honest i still think zutara is better but yes zuko and may i that that honestly is a pretty good edward bella analog because it's just like we're both sad moody people but we're like happy together which is kind of sweet i kind of dig that you know it's nice except like bella's not like an optimist or a pessimist that's true. Edward is. Edward, Edward is, is a pessimist. Edward is a pessimist. And so Bella might be a little gloomy, but she's definitely an optimist. She's definitely like, we can be together. Everything will be all right. Yeah. It'll be okay. Just turn me into a vampire. It's exactly. fine. Just whatever it takes. I just... What the uh, yes, fucking dick? I, uh, like, just I, I know. Me, I love how much of Bella me... is just like, I don't give a fuck. Let's fucking do it. Like, I'm like, that's kind of cool. And that's so sad because I feel like that was something that people ragged on like a lot when it came to her character was just like, oh, she'll just do insert dangerous or reckless thing here because she's so into a guy. And I'm like, yeah, that's relatable to me. Like, I want to see more of that. <laughs> like, like. So, like, especially, like, you know, in New Moon, it's like, oh, she's getting herself into dangerous situations just so she can, like, see glimpses of Edward. And I'm like, yeah, when you're in love with someone and you're grieving, like, you'll do some crazy shit. That's, like, a real thing that I'm, <laughs> I get that, you know? And it's just, I think it's based to people being like, meh, this female protagonist isn't, like, a shining paragon of virtue that, like, little girls should look up to and aspire to be exactly like. And it's like, well... I mean, newsflash, asshole, real women aren't like that either. Like, I wouldn't want some little girl being like, I want to be exactly like Stephanie. I'd be like, baby, no, don't do that, please. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, so it's like, in so much as Bella doesn't always feel like a real protagonist because she's a self-insert, in other ways she does feel pretty real because, like, the ways in which she is, like, not a great role model are the ways that feel real to me. So it's like, I don't know, I can't believe I'm over here, like, 
defending the literary merits of Twilight, but I guess I am, because that's where we are now. But, anyway. I will defend the literary merits of Twilight for the same reason I defended the merits of Captain Marvel when it came out. Out of spite. (laughs) Out of sheer (laughs) goddamn spite. Exactly. No, and that's the thing. It's like, you can just have a knee-jerk, I don't really care for this reaction to something, and then as soon as other people start being really weird and hyperbolic about it, you're like, I mean, okay, but hold on. <laughs> like, exactly. Like, we, we can have a nuanced opinion about things. Like, and that's where I am with Twilight. I'm like, I think a lot of it is really fucking boring and bloated and doesn't work, but I also think that most of the things that people get mad about it are not actually worth getting mad about. And in some cases, are actually good. Like, there's my fucking hot take, I guess. So, yeah. Alright, Caleb, um, before we move on to the next section, I gotta ask, I gotta ask, um, are you Team Edward or Team Jacob? Team Edward. Wow, my mans didn't even hesitate. <laughs> um, I, I am too, I am too. Like, after watching all the movies, I was like, the thing about Jacob is he's edging real close to nice guy TM a lot of the time, mm-hmm. which he needs to not do. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. and also I gotta say this is more of like a writing gripe, but I kind of don't like how they position him as like the normal alternative to Edward because I'm like he's a fucking werewolf. Like, if you want to have a guy who's like. Oh, if you were just with this guy, your life could be normal and simple. And I'm like, then make him just be a regular human, like, from her high school or whatever. Don't make him a fucking werewolf, because that just confuses the metaphor. Like, if you are, if you're married to a werewolf, your your life is still going to be a little weird. Right. <laughs> like, the, the, it, when the question is posed, who is the monster and who is the man, both options aren't supposed to be a monster. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. No, exactly, exactly. I wish that I'm not opposed to the love triangle and we'll talk about this some more in the Hunger Games. I I actually I kind of like love triangles, which is not a popular opinion apparently, but Mm-mm. I Kilb's going to fight me on this. I can tell. I, well, I I've had strong feelings about these both for um No, no, no the, over 10 no, years. No, no, but but I I don't think either of them are a perfect example of the kind of love triangle that I like, but I'll work with what I've got. I like a love triangle if it can give me a clear choice. Like, that is to say, if it can present one side as, here is what you get if you choose this person, and the other side is, here is what you are getting if you choose this person, if that makes sense. Like, if the love interests are representative of something more than themselves, like if they're representative of different paths for the protagonist to go down. Um, And like I said, like, yeah, with the monster versus man thing, I feel like that would have been better articulated in the whole Edward and Jacob thing if it had been, like, I don't know. Like, if it had been a choice between a supernatural person and a natural person, or what, whatever you want to call it, between a vampire and a human. If it's between vampire and werewolf, it's basically, like, what kind of freaky dick do you want to yeah, get? Which, like, <laughs> what's your fetish? Yeah, exactly. Right, right, which I feel like makes it not quite work because they're not different enough to me, frankly. Like, and it's especially weird when they have him acting all, like, protective nice guy about it. And I'm like, I don't, he, he's still a guy that turns into a wolf. (laughs) Like, how normal can they be 
together. <laughs> Which, by the way, I don't... You haven't seen the movie, but you read the book, so I don't know if you know, like, if this part is in the book or not. But in, like, Breaking Down Part 2, there's this great scene where, um... um they're, like, trying to figure out whether to tell Charlie that, like, Bella's a vampire. And, like, Jacob goes to talk to him. And, like, it's like, Charlie, there's something you need to know. And he, like, takes off his shirt. And Charlie's like, uh, what? <laughs> hey, hey, Jacob, um. And Jacob is like, it's like, there's so much that you don't know. And Charlie's like, um. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's pretty fucking Does hilarious. That... Like... <laughs> That he's constantly walking around without a shirt on. Why hasn't he died from lack of service? <laughs> oh my god. My favorite part of Eclipse um, is when Jacob is like walking. He's like stalking around. He's super angry about something. He's like monologuing. And he's wearing only cargo shorts. <laughs> Nothing else. Just cargo shorts. <laughs> oh, the 2000s were a great time. <laughs> Oh my god, okay, you know what, that's not even about the movies that we're technically talking about, so I, <laughs> I could, I could keep talking about Twilight ad nauseum, because there's just so much to talk about, but, um, anything else, Caleb, before we move on to The Hunger Games? Uh, Twilight, the first movie is fun, it's a little clunky, yeah. a little awkward, but... It's, it's perfectly fine. serviceable it's and fine. entertaining. If you, uh, yeah, I would say it's the exact kind of movie that if you are into the premise, you should watch, and you won't. It you'll be fine. If you're not into the premise, then there's no point in watching it. Like, <laughs> it's not a movie that I would say watch it based on artistic merit alone, but it is a movie that I would say if you are at all into. <laughs> paranormal romance then it's worth a watch i i don't know i i think it's fun and i think yeah i think it is unapologetically femme gaze and that's something that i'm just glad to see at any time yeah it's like yeah here's a sparkly fucking vampire and like a guy with rock hard abs who turns into a werewolf and they're both in love with this chick and that chick could be you like (laughs) and that's okay that's that's good. We we like that in our escapist media. Like, I don't know. I think I think it's worth it. Yeah. Okay. Just don't watch any of the other ones unless you like really want to. You're really drunk. That could be fun. Anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll see you guys after the break for the Hunger Games. Hey everyone! Thanks for checking out our show. Give us a follow on Twitter at SoundsFilmiliar and let us know any film pairings you would like us to cover. Did you also know that we have a sister show that covers cryptids, UFOs, and anything else strange and spooky? If that sounds like your thing, be sure to listen to I Hope You Exist on your favorite podcast service. We love you. Now back to the show. Alright, we are back from the break. And it is time to discuss the 74th annual Hunger Games. May the odds be blah, 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 blah. Wow, almost an exact quote. <laughs> that's, yes, I believe that's verbatim. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so, yeah. So the Hunger Games. My obsessions went from Twilight... <laughs> And then meandered for a while. 
and then wound up on the hunger games in 10th grade english i think we read it because we had a cool teacher who was like a couple years out of college um (laughs) been there and um i was obsessed yeah like i read the first book and i was i was hooked um catching fire was out i torrented a pdf of it (laughs) wow Um, yeah all right it was i was very much full on into into hunger games um yeah um i actually this is one of very few uh popular YA books that i actually did read around the time that other people were reading it um i don't know maybe slightly after i i read the first one i started reading it junior year of high school which for me would have been 2010 2011 around that time um and i really liked it uh i was <laughs> as a delicate little summer child who who had not read a whole lot of modern books up to that point i was a little distressed by the central concept and yet the fact that i was distressed by it made me even more interested because <laughs> i was like oh god this makes me so upset i need to know more <laughs> like um and so i did read all three i <laughs> read i say generously um i skimmed mocking jay i kind mm, of read it that's the only way i know how to put stephanie it stephanie and i can't have adequate discussions about mocking jay because it, i did not like it I, I had multiple major gripes with it you know i used to not like mocking jay as a story like i wasn't a huge fan around the time that i read it but after having watched the movies again um, with like fresh eyes more or less i i kind of get it now does that make sense like it yes. works for me now in a way that it didn't before which maybe we'll talk about a little bit later <laughs> like i said I, technically we're only talking about the first entries in these franchises but we're kind of talking about the whole story right so um so obviously we saw this in theaters when it came out yeah i remember right around the time that we were going to prom i remember talking about going to see it um, I don't remember that at all, but I'm glad you do. It might have been slightly before. I don't, or slightly after. I don't really remember. It was around that time. Um, um, but yes, I did. We did see this in theaters. Did we see it together? I think we did. I don't completely remember though. It's probably safe to say we did. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Br- brains short uh, Yeah. There no, I I remember. It's funny. I remember more about like the lead up to the movie because when I first read the book, the movie was announced like around the same time, and I remember sitting at my computer, like the day they anna- were announcing some casting choices, and I was like, "Don't know who that is. Don't know who that is. Don't know who that is." Woody Harrelson is Hamish. Woody Harrelson was literally like who I imagined in my head. When I was reading the book as, like, as like Hamish. I cannot believe that. That is, like, had you seen him in other stuff? Yeah, Zombieland was out. Okay, that's, yeah, I mean, see, I think when I read the book, the movie had already been announced, though it hadn't come out yet, so I think I already knew who was playing who, so I was kind of picturing them, like... Yeah. Um, and yes, absolutely, like, Woody Harrelson as Hamish, like, 
perfect casting no notes like yep. <laughs> extremely great like honestly all the casting's really good and and i also really like um elizabeth banks as effie yeah um she's really bringing that like retro futurist energy because she has like extreme like 50s housewife or like mm-hmm. <laughs> or starlet energy yeah. um no i i re- i really like like they they got so many really famous people to be in it, and yeah. everyone's doing really great. <laughs> it was actually I'm pretty sure it was from the same studio that did Twilight. Was it? I was really. Was they were both Lionsgate. Pretty oh, sure. were they? Okay. I think I remember, I remember because that. when they announced that the Hunger Games movie was coming from Lionsgate, I was like, "Oh, that's the studio that did Twilight." I oh. said, never having seen Twilight. Oh, honey. Um, <laughs> you know, tenth grade is like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I remember, I remember really liking the movie when I saw it. Like, at that point, I, I, I think, had I, well, no, I had read all the books at that point. But I didn't have any really firm opinions on, like, what I should and shouldn't see on screen. So I was just like, yeah, I'm, this works for me. This is a good adaptation. I have some notes. Oh? Oh? But not many. Lo- what's your notes? What's your not notes? Many. I'm, I'm curious. Do we want to just dive into my well, few complaints I have with yeah, the movie? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just go ahead. Yeah. One, as well. shaky cam. Uh, I literally was, I'd like, I felt nauseous after the first minute or two of the movie. <laughs> It literally gave, gave me nausea. There was too much shaky cam. And, and, and it makes sense after a certain point. Mm-hmm. But in the first act, it doesn't make sense. It's way too much. There's too much movement movement of the camera. Personally, I would have gone with steady cam up until the moment she goes up the tube. Then expand the aspect ratio to full 16 by 9 and switch to shaky cam. That's what I would have done. Yes. I think that would have made more sense, yes. uh, cinematically speaking. Um, and really the only other note I can think of is that I have a vague sense of there being a scene in the book where uh, when Katniss is starting to get annoyed with Haymitch and is like trying to convince him to actually like be a mentor. And like she does something that catches his attention and he decides... And he says, all right, if you'll listen to what I have to say, I'll keep my drinking in check to to make sure that I can actually be a mentor for you. And there's not a scene like that in the movie. Like, it's kind of implied. Like, when she stabs the table, and there's the whole that is mahogany thing, um, and you can see him, like, perk up a little bit. And then several scenes later, like, he has his first lines in a while, and he's suddenly just, like, full-on mentoring them. Mm. I would have liked to see that transition. I would have liked to see that statement of, like, him saying to the audience, like, that realization, like, okay, you've got spunk. You're someone who is willing or who, like, would be would benefit from receiving my full attention. And so I'm going to make an effort to rein in my vices. Mm to help this person who wants to be helped yeah. because Peta and um katniss are the first tributes that he's had in like years and years and years that he feels could like actually win that could be contenders that would actually benefit from his mentorship um and so i just i would have liked a little scene i 
I'm that that's one of my biggest things is massive character changes without a transitive scene. Mm. Like I've bitched about that with with um uh fucking Rogue One before mm. where there's just that stark character change in the main character yes. and like I need a reason. I need to see that character making that decision to believe it yeah. fully. I don't know. I like yeah. I definitely see what you're saying. Like you can infer it. But it's still not as satisfying. I guess I just I didn't feel the lack of it, if that makes sense, with with I, image I, in the movies. It, I didn't notice the lack. Like of you're it. not it missing anything like... in the transition because like he gets there and he ends up being that actual present, fairly sober mentor character. Yeah, I would just really appreciate seeing the transition i guess it just didn't you feel know. stark to me it didn't feel like you went from zero to 180 or whatever it just it, well see it's it's supposed to be right because like when he first shows up on the train he basically ignores them all he cares about is getting shit faced and like he shows up he's like where's the alcohol and they're like when's the mentorship starting and he's like what where's the fucking ice i don't care about you you're just gonna die anyway yes. why should i waste my time I'm just going to enjoy my free ride, my free yearly ride to the capital. I think that we were meant to infer that it was like he he warmed up to PETA because like he is an actual people person. And then through that, he kind of like began to tolerate Katniss. That's not I don't. I don't feel that it's it's he likes PETA because he's more of a people person. But Katniss has the spunk. He he likes her he he likes her attitude. Well, yeah, and you see that once she actually like fucks with the game makers and like shoots the arrow at the fucking apple or something. Well, it it impacts him the moment she like makes a pass at him and stabs the table and like makes him think he's she might actually stab him. Well, okay, yes, that too. Um, anyway, I thought I thought it makes sense. Those it, are the I, the yeah. the shaky cam and the lack of that transitive scene with Hamish are like. My only mm. complaints. Okay. Uh, other than oh, I was I did mention that I was a uh, a little sad that we didn't get to see all of the outfits for well, the yes. districts in the the I parade. I also would have liked to see those. Just like a two or three second shot of each one. That's all. I wanted I needed. to see the ones that had cowboy hats. I wanted to know yeah, what the, the story fucking was representing there. the cowboy district. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I would have really liked to see that. I especially wish we could have seen it just like a quick pan around of like the silly uninspired costumes as a contrast to their cool fiery costumes. Because um, I think that's what we were like supposed to take away from it. Mm -hmm. So it would have been nice to get a little more comparison there. But um, oh. no, but I do really, I really like the first half. I mean, I like both halves of the movie because like, like it, spoiler it, alert, I think it's a great movie. And it but is divided I, perfectly in half. Yes. Like, the if you remove a couple minutes for the credits, the moment that they enter the arena is the exact halfway point. Of yeah, the and movie. that feels very intentional. Um, no, but I I do like I like what we see of the capital, or particularly I like the fact that we see District Twelve first. We're introduced to that, and then in very stark contrast to that, we see right. the capital. Right. Um, which I really like, um, and it's, I don't know, it, it's, I like the contrast in that, you know, obviously District 12 is, like, grimy and rough and, like, everybody's poor and then in the capital, like, everybody's wearing outlandish, colorful stuff and is super rich. Um, it's also, though, it's like, I, I don't know, <laughs> how do I put this? It, the closest I get to being annoyed with, like, the political metaphors at times is, like, 
presenting people who are wearing like crazy colorful outlandish things as like bad <laughs> i don't know and it's like oh look at them like wasting all this money on clothes and makeup and it's like well i really like crazy clothes and makeup but i'm not rich like i you know like i i i scrape together what what you know excess in, income i have to put towards those things and so in some ways, like, that contrast <laughs> makes me feel a little hurt. But I get it. In the in that world, it makes sense. It's like people in other, in the districts, as they're called, like, don't have money for, like, frivolities like that. Um, whereas people in the capital do. Which is, I don't know. I mean, it's a fun contrast. It's like they have a lot of excess income, so they just spend all their time, like, perfecting their aesthetic. <laughs> Which I mean, to be fair, some of us that aren't rich do that too. But um, which it it it's also, I mean, in the story, this doesn't negate what you're saying. But in the story, it serves to alienate them from yes, the people they in look the district. Katniss literally like views her makeup team as like aliens or as like animals that she's studying. Um, yes, because that is so different. That is her. used to affect to humanize Cinna. Because his, he, he does live in the capital, he is a capital citizen, but his look is so subdued, it's just a simple black outfit with a subtle gold eye eyeshadow, and that's it. Yeah, because he has actual right. taste. <laughs> yes, he has taste, and because he, he, he is the most human of the people that we meet from the capital. Yes, which is kind of cool, because it's like the fact that he's like a fashion designer, like he could have just as easily been like a Cruella type person. Exactly, you would expect him to be the most outlandish right. one. Right. But no, because he understands Yeah, he fashion. understands beauty and he understands symbolism through, and that's something that I kind of like about the story is that so much of it, or there is such a focus on symbolism through aesthetics and symbolism through like art and fashion, which is really interesting to me. Um, like, I don't know. I like the fact that, like, a designer dress can be a political statement. Like, I don't know. I think that's kind of cool. <laughs> I like that. Um, or, like, a brooch or something. Uh, I don't know. I And it's very fascinating to me. It feels very... Oh, God. I'm getting into words I don't really completely know the meaning of. Postmodern, maybe? That it's very much about, like, um, our current technologically advanced world and uh the way we kind of exist in this panopticon now of like um perpetually being viewed by and viewing others and how everything like almost every action and even sometimes passive existence can now be viewed through a symbolic lens like which is something that the hunger games kind of examples ex examines <laughs> um like as a franchise um even just, like, the smallest things can symbolize something much more, which feels very true now, for better or worse. <laughs> right, and it, it very much, the world of The Hunger Games very much takes its lead from real-world uh, fascist dictatorships. Yes. yes, And how even the most subtle things can be viewed as resistance. Right. And often are r resistance, you know. Right, you rebel in small ways, yes. and as you, they take away your ability to rebel in larger ways, they will crack down on smaller and smaller ways that you differ, set yourself apart. So much of the story, in fact, the entire reason why Katniss gets roped into being, like, a figurehead for the rebellion is... 
I'm not in this for your rebellion. <laughs> I'm not in it for you. Yeah, it is the fact that, like, tiny actions that might not have even been intentional can be viewed as symbolic of something greater. Right, like, that's the whole, that's that's the 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 catalyst for this whole story was is Katniss consistently unintentionally doing things that are like small acts of resistance just as that she, by being a human by being her by being a human by having empathy she yeah. is doing things that are direct threats to the capital and their supremacy without even meaning to like they have to they spend half a book in, in Mockingjay trying to convince her to be the hero of the resistance, she's like, I don't want to. And they're like, girl, I don't think you have a choice. <laughs> you just okay? have to now. Like, it's a little late for that. Yeah. You, shouldn't have, you shouldn't have buried the girl with the flowers. Right. You shouldn't have done the thing with the night lock. Because guess what? Now you're the symbol. And, and that's what's kind of cool about it is that it's like, um, it's showing the like, even without meaning to, just by the mere act of being human and having empathy for other humans and wanting to survive, even that could be an act of defiance in a system that doesn't want you to do those things. Like, if you have a system that wants you to lose empathy for other people and just simply accept them as casualties, if you have empathy for a child who dies, then you are automatically defying that system. Right. The The entire point of the Hunger Games themselves is to ensure that people continuing looking out for themselves and no one else. Right. right? That's the whole point it, of having only one victor. If there's more than one victor, then it's automatically accepting the concept that like people can care about each other. Right. Even, even, even if it's two people, in every other Hunger Games prior to this one, even if it's the last two people are from the same district, it still can only be one of them. So it even pits people against their own Yeah, that's the whole point. There can't be um, it's to... there can't be solidarity because right. with solidarity there could be opposition. And then the moment Katniss shows solidarity with someone from another district when uh, with her and Rue, that's all it took for Rue's entire district to fall into chaos. Yeah. Right. And I don't know. I really like that as metaphor, I guess, um, because it's like it because of the way it shows like people having empathy for each other under situ like under circumstances that are specifically engineered to pit, the pit them against each other. That feels very relevant to me because <laughs> we think about, you know, the way that like our current capitalist overlords love to pit us against each other be like oh that immigrant's gonna steal your job poor white person you better go and hate him like so that we don't have to change anything so it's like well what if i choose to be like hey immigrant who is at the bottom of the social ladder and me a poor white person who is also pretty close to the bottom of the social ladder though maybe not at the exact bottom like what if instead of hating each other like, what if I decided to work together with you <laughs> and not be a complete dick? So you mean like that episode of Wayne we just watched? Yes! <laughs> oh, we... How do we talk about a TV show on this podcast? We gotta figure out uh, how to do that. That's a good question. We'll figure that out. We're watching a good show right now that you should check out. It's on Amazon. It's called Wayne. Also fuck Amazon, but also they got some good shows. So I don't yes. know. <laughs> My understanding, it's from the writers of the Deadpool movie. It was originally on YouTube and has since been acquired on Amazon and has not yet been confirmed for a season two. Oh, that stresses me out. It's not a no, but it's not a yes, and I mm. hate it. 
because it ends on a cliffhanger. But yeah, it, like in that episode, it's like, hey, what if poor white people were like allying themselves with, you know, with undocumented immigrants? mind blown imagine how much we could get done if we got beyond our stupid fucking prejudices anyways so right, we need getting to move back on to the hunger go, games before i go googling that lbj quote let's just let's just move on <laughs> oh i'm not aware of that one well we'll see we'll that see yeah, later. yeah. Talking, i'll find it but yes um no i really i really like that and i it's also interesting because of how like the games very much encourage the exploitation of human connection in that like their whole scheme is like, hey, give them something to root for, young love. Which leads to this really kind of twisted scenario where it's like, we want to show people young love, human connection, so they have something to root for because that's our natural inclination is to root for other people to be happy together. And yet we're also rooting for them to kill each other in these games. So yeah. it's like... <laughs> I went and found the quote, by the way. Oh, all right. It, it let's, only took a second. Let's hear it. Quote from Lyndon B. Johnson. I'm just going to read it straight, okay? Hmm. If you can convince the lowest white man he's better than... Oh, fuck the, the... I had this open for a minute and then a pop-up appeared <laughs> oh, the moment I'm I started sorry. reading no, it. No, no, no. Go for it. Go for it. If you can convince the lowest white man he's better than the best colored man, he won't notice you're picking his pocket. Hell, give him somebody to look down on and he'll empty, empty his pockets for you. Yes. Yes. No, it's exactly that. And it's like the, um... Oh, gosh. It's like... Uh, the the rich person telling the middle class person that the poor person is stealing from him or something like that. That's uh, and which is why I really I really like these books because it I don't know like yes it's like YA fiction it's a super heightened reality and yet there you know there's comparisons that you can definitely see of course in this well okay hang on. In this world, I was going to say there's a pretty stark divide between, like, there's just on one end, there's the capital, and on the other end, there's, like, the districts. But even within the districts, there are differences. Right. Like, the first however many districts are, like, the most important suppliers for the capital, and they're fairly wealthy. Yes. And, you know, they're uh, wealthy enough that they specific will specifically train yes. their their tributes so those are the middle um, class that's what in what's interesting to me is like that's you have the capital who is upper class you have like district 11 and 12 and whoever who are lower class and then you have like one through four i think right are who um, are the the better districts quote unquote that's the middle class the important thing here that happens is like um the lower districts i guess being able to convince the higher districts i guess why they're still like the the, the class solidarity right. there because as much as the rich districts might want to be part of the capital they'll never be and part of the capital honestly now that i think about it i wish we had seen a little bit more of that in the franchise i would have really liked to see a little more of that like having to convince the people in the middle that they're better off allying themselves with the people on the lower end of the scale than the people on the upper like, because the the fact of the career tributes, like, that's really interesting to me. And I wish we'd gotten to see a little bit more of them, maybe a little more humanization. Like, the closest we get to that is a little bit with um, Kato at the end, mm -hmm. which honestly, I like. I, I, I like that we do get that moment with him where he's kind of seeing it all come crashing down in front of him. I'm dead anyway. Right, exactly. And, and it's so sad because it's like, 
on the one hand, you really hate him because he's a complete douche, like, but on the other hand, you suddenly see it with much clearer eyes, and you're like, oh, this is, like, a 17-year-old boy or however old he is who has just been, like, raised his entire life to do this one thing and is now just now seeing the entire lie in front of him, like, and it's really fucked, like, but that's a great moment, and, um, I don't know, I really, I really like that, and... I wish, I do wish we had seen a little bit more of that over the course of the series. I would have liked to see a little more communication with people who were in that position, who are like, you can choose between the privilege that the capital offers you, but you're always going to be subjugated, versus like, you can try to overthrow them, but might risk losing that privilege, <laughs> which is like, hello, that's what like some of us have, like, you know, when you have white privilege, for instance, when you're like a lower class white person, you can choose to uh ally yourselves with like okay do i want to center my whiteness and do i want to like <laughs> take the advantages that that will give me or do you want to ally yourself with people who are more marginalized knowing that that can help you too <laughs> if you overthrow the capitalist system Whew. anyway <laughs> so the hunger games is a fun movie that came out in 2012 <laughs> um yes uh speaking about other aspects um oh gosh okay um I'm trying to think here. I I really love I really love these movies. Like I like I said I recently rewatched them and I was just struck by like how good they are. Like especially compared to a lot of other YA adaptations. <laughs> um like even even the less good ones, which I would say probably Mockingjay Part 1 is the weakest one to me still is pretty watchable like i still haven't seen part two and i've only seen part one once oh you should um no i i I like them i really like them i okay i guess to dive in dive into this Hmm. um i was always team PETA, if only because (laughs) gail is barely in he's basically non-existent in except until the third one um and you know, you can't help but root for him in the first one. Especially in the book, you spend more time with the two of them. Yeah. Um, because, you know, the movie's gotta kinda get through it. They're like, we're in our third act. We gotta we gotta move along. But in the book, you're just like, go, Peter, go, go. You can get it. You can do it. And then you're just like, Katniss, the fuck's wrong with you? He's a perfectly good boy. Like, he's a good boy. And then... No, I- and then the second one, when he announced he does he does the whole fucking pregnancy thing, I had to put it down and walk away. <laughs> like when I read that, I had to fucking oh, oh shit. Oh. And then and then the second one also fucked with me mm. because when he said that, and I realized I was like, we're not in we're not in the arena yet. We're like two thirds of the way through the page count of this book. Mm. And then, you know, the second one spends (laughs) fairly little time in the arena because they don't make it through the whole game. um, Because the game ends early. Yeah. And so, like, two-thirds to... A a solid two-thirds to three-quarters of the book are not in the arena. So, you know, imagine reading it, you're like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) And then, back to the PETA thing. From what I recall of Mockingjay... I was intensely dissatisfied with the ending mm. because what is it? Katniss decides to kill president. What's her name? Coin. Coin kills coin. 
and then the book is just kind of like and then Katniss fell into a deep depressive PTSD that lasted the rest of her life and she ended up marrying PETA and they had several kids but she was like a ghost of her former self and emotionally absent forever and ever and PETA was sad because she never really truly loved her him the end I don't I feel like that's not I I get where you're coming from but I don't know maybe it's watching the movie that clarified a little bit more for me like yes she is like horrifically PTSD'd <laughs> you know what i mean Uh and but i i read it more as pita is her connection to to reality like pita is her connection to like something better something healing and like the if i'm recalling correctly i think the book ends on something like kind of like a callback to him sort of having some of that ptsd as well because he asks like there's a line where he says like you love me real or not real and she says real because like after his you know brainwashing by the capital like where they were they were trying to turn him against her basically when did he get brainwashed he got captured remember he didn't make it out at the end of the second hunger games no i don't remember oh my god i have blocked out most of mocking jay all i remember about mocking jay is the stupid mutation things that randomly show up in the sewer prim dying out of nowhere and then katniss spending the rest of her life a shell of a human being that's all i remember okay at the end of Catching Fire, they rescue Katniss, but they, they didn't manage to rescue Peeta. Uh-huh. He was captured by the Capitol. They, like, tried to brainwash him um, it, to try to make him kill Katniss and, like, turn against her. And a lot of the conflict with him in Mockingjay is, like, it, him trying to resist that and, like, continuously falling back into... You know, it's actually really fucking sad. Like, <laughs> like him trying to hold on to reality because the capital is so much like fucked with his his memories and his associations. Um. So, over the course of the book, he he asks her like about what is real and what isn't, and she'll tell him. And so, like, I want to say the last lines of the book is him saying like, like you love me. Is that real or not real? And she says it's real. And, like, that's the end. And so that's, to me, that was supposed to convey the, like, even after all she's been through, like, in the end, she really does genuinely, not for any artifice, she genuinely does feel love for him. And so I think it's meant to be a very hopeful ending where it's, like, they're together and it's not just that she is accepting it because she doesn't know what else to do. It's because she, she actually does feel genuinely that way at that point. I don't know. I think, and I think that's what the the movie is conveying as well. Um, I don't know, and I I I think it is a depressing in some ways ending, <laughs> especially for like a YA book. But in other ways, it feels like weirdly optimistic because for all the depressing stuff that happens, it feels so hopeful to just be like two people who are extremely like scarred and you know have been extremely negatively affected by this can still come together and help each other you know to have a better life i don't know and it feels was weirdly mature too. in that way yeah and also gil was there <laughs> if you couldn't tell which team we were on here no i was actually i rooted for gail for a good portion of the book 
Yeah. And then I like once the stuff in the cave started happening, it was when I like, came oh, around okay, on just... it. No, I I never even gave the Gale a second thought. I'm not trying to be mean here. I'm just not a friend of the childhood uh, friend of. I'm not a fan of the childhood friends to lovers trope because it's very boring to me. And it's like, well, you already have an established relationship. I I don't. There's not much for me to discover here, if that makes sense. So, like, with Gail, I was just kind of like, yeah, yeah. Anyway, what else is happening? Um, <laughs> also, I just love PETA because he's the most husband material to ever husband material. Because uh, <laughs> he's just such a nice boy. <laughs> but in a way that's not boring somehow. That's another thing that I really appreciate about these books as far as, like, the romance aspect goes. It's like, normally in these kinds of books, I tend towards, like, the bad boy type, like, oh, the enemies to lovers, whatever. But, like, that's mostly just because it's usually the most interesting option. But PETA is the more interesting option, despite the fact that he's, like, the nice boy. He's more interesting because, I don't know, there's more conflict with Katniss there because she is so, like... I don't, I don't even know how to put it. Like, she's so business-oriented. She's like, I will fucking survive, she's and I will kill anyone who gets in my angry, way. And Peter's just kind of like, whatever you want. Exactly, <laughs> whatever you want, babe. Like, and But also, he has such a genuine, like, kindness for other people and, like, a charm about him that, like, she just doesn't have. Right, like, right. We, that's <laughs> frequently a point that, like, she is very much, like, a, a, a stiff as a board she, yes. she when it's not like She's life stoic. or death she has no idea what to do whereas like Peta talking to caesar flickerman he's oh like, yeah being so charming and cute charming and like making like, jokes yeah no that's a great scene too because it's such like a contrast between Which, them she's like sitting there awkwardly like. stanley tucci as caesar oh flickerman. so great uh, one of his best like bit parts like as a guy who has a lot of like bit parts and cameo roles and stuff so good no i i really love him in these movies and yes and it's really great <laughs> it's great seeing that like like on camera Peter's just like in his element whereas katniss is like she just says stuff and everyone laughs because they think she's making like a deadpan joke and she's like that wasn't a joke i really did think i was gonna burn up <laughs> um no and and they're yeah, their little dynamic is really great because of that. And it's also really great because of, like, he is genuinely in love with her. And she's just like, I'm just going to say whatever I have to say to, like, live. Oof. <laughs> yeah. Oof. The, Can I get an the oof from my man in the chat? <laughs> I know. Oh, it's especially sad if you watch it in res- retrospect, having seen the other stuff. Like, if you watch the cave scene in The Hunger Games where he's like... They're saying all that stuff, and he's like, oh, yeah. Oh, man, she really does like me. <laughs> and, like, and then it's like, oh, never mind. <laughs> this was just reality I hope TV. you like your consolation prize of a cup of soup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here's your soup, man. Oh, my God, the part when they're about to eat the berries, and, like, they're counting it down, and he, like, reaches out and touches her braid. I- Dude, I died. I was like, <laughs> I can't believe I'm not one of the capital people watching this on TV and be like, oh my god. <gasps> oh no, the young lovers. <laughs> like, it completely fucking gets me every time. No, I, 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 yeah, I really like it. And, um, honestly, yeah, I think this, 
this love triangle is even less legit than the one in Twilight because I'm like, who's Gale? Who's that guy? <laughs> He's a guy that's there also. He's just this guy. He's you know? some guy. <laughs> I don't know. The only time I ever care about Gale is that one point in Catching Fire when he like stands up to one of the peacekeepers and and they whip him for that. And there's that like whole scene where like Katniss, Peta, and Hamish all run out there and are like, "Hey, you don't want to do this," and it gets really tense there for a second. That's the only time I ever care about Gale because I'm like, oh, something bad could actually happen to him. And now I'm worried. And then after that, I don't care anymore. I'm just like, oh, it's the other Hemsworth. <laughs> I don't I know. <laughs> um, who plays Seneca Crane? Oh, um, Wes, Wes. Wes Bentley? Bentley, yes. Do you remember that fucking Tumblr gif that was just, uh, it was like him turning his head and it rotated, like every time he turned his head it would turn 90 degrees. Like, sweet dreams yes, are made yes, of this. That <laughs> yes, that's exactly the Tumblr post I'm thinking of. Oh my god. That one fucking killed me. I oh wish to god I still... There's no way I could find that. That's a 10-year-old Tumblr post, that's you know? That's old as the fucking hills, that's, yeah. Oh, my God. That's vintage. <laughs> You're right. You, you brought up a memory I didn't know I still had. Oh, my God. Dude, you know what? Wes Bentley is another one of those actors that I really like him every time he's in a movie, but I don't know if he's, if he's ever been the main character, which is crazy because he's, like, really handsome. It's like, where the fuck? Why hasn't he been in the main character in anything? <laughs> no, he's always a bit part. <laughs> Are you looking for the post? Uh, I'll find now? it later. Oh I'm gonna sort. I'm gonna be sorting through Tumblr posts for half oh an hour trying God. to find this. I wish I, <laughs> I will see that post tonight. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Um. So. Oh my God. Okay. Um. Whew. If I have more to say about the Hunger Games, I'm not yeah, gonna think of it. I'm not gonna think of it right now. Um still gets me in the feels man it's i don't know it's really good i like i know we've complained a little bit about the shaking cam but i do think that it succeeds at placing you very immediately within the action and like make making it feel very visceral and i think that's a good thing i mean that kind of subject matter you do want it to really hit or otherwise it won't quite work um and, and i i like that a lot um i like you know that when they when the games first start and like it's so disorienting and you just see brief flashes of like people being killed and and it's there's no uh diegetic sound it's all right it, yes instrumental it, it feels very much like even when you're not literally seeing from katniss's perspective it's still f- feels very grounded in her experience because it's so like um yeah there's that feeling of being like stuck in a tunnel of like having to get from one point to another and all this chaos is just happening around you seeing brief flashes of it which is which is merciful because we don't really want to see a bunch of 12 year olds get their throats cut or whatever um and then you know and then other points i think like for instance when rue dies there was that moment of like you see things from her perspective for a moment which that's when the waterworks really come on man like (laughs) like you see her like looking up at the trees and you like you see just like the bottom of Katniss's face and for a moment you're like what that's a weird angle and then you're like oh this is what Rue is seeing and you like hear her singing and you see like slowly 
things like just turn to white and then completely fade out and it's like oh i just died like that's 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 what i saw now i'm a 12 year old girl and i died like it's it's very it's very visceral and i don't know i think that's good filmmaking i i don't know anything about gary ross the director but i think Has my man did a good job i i don't know i i think he did a really good job with this one that's all i got <laughs> gary ross i'm gonna find out real quick before we mm. ditch this yeah uh, i guess i'm just gonna have to look at hunger games because okay hold on Stephanie, keep... <laughs> uh, apollo now is not the time for puppies input um gary ross okay now this is he directed sea biscuit and <laughs> well, big big really yep. <laughs> okay i haven't seen either of them though i've heard of both of them he's only directed nine movies hmm. free state of jones which you've oh, seen I've, well i've seen like the first half i need to Ocean's actually watch eight. the second half the first hunger games only seabiscuit really? and pleasantville that's it so that's two toby Maguire movies interesting um i have seen pleasant that's so funny like I've seen Pleasantville. That doesn't seem like at all the same type of movie making as as Hunger Games, but that's interesting. Huh. Okay. What a small filmography. That's I so know. strange. I'm and and kind of inscrutable too. But you know what? Good for my man though. Like he he did a really good job. I think this movie's really well directed and I I don't know. I really like it. I I think like especially compared to a lot of YA adaptations that were happening around this time, I think there was the potential for it to be definitely not as good as it was. Yes. But it is good, and it actually takes a lot of time to focus on, like, small things and, like, small character moments. Yeah. And to feel really immediate, really visceral. And that's so important for this kind of story, especially because, like, the books are written from that first-person present perspective, mm-hmm. which is so immediate and so visceral. And I think it's a really good adaptation in that way. And, yeah, I think it's really good. It is, it is, I guess, if you're trying to be objective, it is probably better than Twilight. But <laughs> also... I think what we've learned for this episode is that when you're a teenager and you're reading stuff, there's a lot of different things that you can relate to and different things that you can enjoy and you don't have to pick between them and that's okay. And yeah, it's fine to imagine yourself being a girl who's in love with a vampire and I guess it's fine to imagine yourself being a girl who's killing a bunch of other kids in a gladiator contest (laughs) if you really want to. Hungry Games is probably a little less escapist and more yes something. I don't know how you define that exactly. It makes you think, though. Well, that's good. God, I hate that. <laughs> if there's one thing we need when we're teens, it's to to think a little bit more about stuff. <laughs> All right. Um. Yeah. We we should probably cut it off right there, or I'm gonna talk forever okay. about these movies. Yeah. My name's Caleb. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at actual underscore Caleb. Um, my name's Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Steph has no name and on Letterboxd at Ray's Left Boob. And you can find the show at Sounds Familiar. And we will see you guys next week with something. Bye. 
Thank you so much for listening to our show. Be sure to check the episode description for any links we may have included related to this week's episode. You can find us online on Twitter and Instagram at SoundsFamiliar. If you'd like to get in contact with us, drop us a line at SoundsFamiliar at gmail.com. We'd like to thank our friend Chelsea for our logo. Check her out on Instagram at ChelseaVHDesigns. We'd also like to thank Shane Quick for our theme music. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to tune in every Thursday for new episodes. We'll see you next time on Sounds Familiar.